Hello, everyone. It is uh, great to be with you. Uh, my name is Joe. If we haven't had that pleasure to meet before, uh, I get to be one of the pastors here. And I love doing that, honestly, uh, and all the things that that means. And I uh, love interacting with you and helping some of you and, and, and even sharing some of the stuff that God is placing uh, kind of in my heart and helping me process and stuff. So glad that we could do that this weekend together. If you're watching online or over at Montrose, what is up uh, to you as well? It's good to be with you. Uh, we've been in this series called Talk to Me as a Friend. Uh, and so kind of walking through all the different things, not, not, not all of them. I mean, that'd be, well, hang out for our life together, right? But uh, a lot of different things where uh, they're heavy, they're hard, we're, they're hard to engage and even understand. What do we do with these? Jesus, they seem to be really important, but instead of it feeling like it's way up there in the stratosphere and, and trying to figure out how, Jesus, can you just slow down for a minute and talk to me as a friend? Can you help me navigate some of this hard stuff, walk through some of this stuff and help me see what it is that you see so that I can find the life that you offer? Last couple of weeks, we've talked about uh, sexuality. We've talked about anger. And this week, we're gonna engage this idea of family, right? And family is... um, fun, right? Uh, Family is an interesting conversation to have. And you know, what's interesting is I prepared uh, this week to engage and and share with you guys. Uh, You know, you kind of go through the whole Bible. If you know the Bible much at all, there's a lot of, uh, I'll call it wonky examples of family. Like just a lot of things that get messed up. You get a couple pages into the Bible and a brother kills his brother. Like it's just like, bam, like here we are from the jump. Like, you know, and I mean, there's been a few times when I grew up there, I thought we were going to repeat, repeat a Cain and Abel experience. Like it was just uh, rough from time to time. Lots of bite marks, a lot of torn clothing, a lot of stolen clothing, uh, you know, lots of holes in walls. Like that's just what it meant to grow up with me and my brothers in particular. And then my sister came along and, you know, that like smoothed a few things out. But then there was just higher pitched, higher volume things, you know, as she got older too. And so, you know, family, it's a lot of fun uh, and all that comes with that. And What's fascinating about family is I've had lots and lots of conversations with people, and as I kind of, again, poured through the pages of the scripture, it's not a one-size-fits-all conversation. Because some of us, when we think family, like some of y'all right now are like ready to log off. Some of you right now are like ready to like, oh man, like I try to avoid conversations about my family. Like I don't want to have this conversation. Why didn't I stay home this weekend? Like I don't want to do this. Uh, There's a lot of pain, right, sometimes associated with family. And it's just not fun to navigate because it just hurts. And some of us were like, family's amazing. Like, these are my favorite people. I love my kids. My parents are like my heroes. Like, we're just like, family is so wonderful, right? And so, like, it's definitely not a one-size-fits-all conversation because we bring our own personal experience to this. And yet Jesus is there to help us navigate what these relationships look like, what what are some things that we can kind of grab a hold of. And here's here's where I'm just going to, like, tip my hat because I think this is really important. I think Jesus, if he's going to sit down with us and talk to us like a friend, I don't think it's just going to be some principles that maybe we're expecting. I I think if we're willing to go there, I think Jesus might want to flip some things upside down and help us see something that maybe we've never thought of before and maybe because we haven't wanted to. I'm not sure it hasn't been there all the time. If you're someone that's been following Jesus for a while, I think some of this has been there, 
But as I'm like pouring through some of these passages, I'm like, I just don't know that very often we're thinking to ourselves, let's actually engage what Jesus is saying and turn this upside down. So it could be a lot of fun. Here, here's where we're going to go uh, this weekend. First of all, what happens when our family is obviously imperfect? <laughs> right? We're going to start there. Then we're going to jump into what happens when we feel like our family is awesome. Uh, what happens when we're like, I can't wait for Thanksgiving this week. Like, I'm going to see all my family. This is going to be great. Like, what happens when that's our scenario? And then we're going to kind of land on this idea of like, what's, what's our personal role that we play in this whole conversation? Well, I want to I go to a couple of passages. We're actually going to walk through a bunch of different things uh, this evening to kind of help us land through these three questions. Um, and, and we're going to start in a passage that you might not expect. If you've been reading the Bible at all for a little while, uh, you might think, oh, there's these different things. But, you know, almost all of the passages that uh, are telling stories about family in the scripture, they're a mess. Uh, it, it, there's, 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 treason, there's cheating, there's multiple spouses, there's uh, I'm stealing my inheritance early, there's all of these things. And so it's like, we're not going to just open up to the book of David and be like, David, how did you navigate the fidelity of marriage? Like, that's just not uh, what we're going to walk through uh, tonight because David gave us a terrible example. Now he gave us a wonderful example of what to do when you blow it. But there's lots of these examples, lots of these conversations. And so as I was really praying about this, I, my heart kept going back to this idea that we're going to find in 1 Corinthians 13, all right? 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12. Uh, now, we see things imperfectly, okay? We see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we'll see everything with perfect clarity. I'll tell you what that is in a second. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then, when the time of perfection comes, I will then know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. God knows us inside and out. He knows you inside and out. He built you, he crafted you, he wired you the way that you are. Your tendencies, your strengths, your weaknesses, the gifting that you have, the things that you're just naturally good at, your sense of humor, whether you have one or not. Uh, the, all of those things, like those are hardwired into you. God implanted that into you. He knows what you get emotional about. He knows what you long for. He knows what you'd be excited to experience. He knows the things that you feel like are missing in your life. He knows you completely. And one day, we will see and know him completely as well, and we will understand so much more of what life has kind of allowed us to experience on our own personal journeys. But what on earth would this have to do with family? What would this have to do with family? I think that when we are going to, if we're going to crack the nut on trying to engage our family situations differently, I think we have to come to grips with the fact that we see our families partially and imperfectly. We do not see them completely clearly. We do not see them with godly clarity. We're gonna see them through a tainted and incomplete lens. And so Jesus Sit us down, let's walk us through this painful version of family first. What happens when my family is not obviously, uh, or it is obviously imperfect? And so uh, let's just go right where we're gonna head. It is okay that our family isn't perfect because Jesus is. 
It's okay that our family isn't perfect because Jesus is. You see, it's, it actually makes a lot of sense that our families would disappoint us. It actually makes a lot of sense that our families would not be able to measure up to a perfect standard. They, your mother, your father, your siblings, your, if you're married, your spouse, if you have children, your, your kids, they're not perfect and they were never going to be. And that's okay. You're not the only one with an imperfect, you're not the only one with an absent, you're not the only one with, you were never going to have the perfect family. And the reason that that's somehow okay is because Jesus is perfect. We all have these deep hopes and desires when it comes to family. We want the, the approval of our fathers. We want to feel special and cared for by our mothers. We want that special camaraderie with our siblings. We wish we could just be on the same page all the time. We, we want to feel safe and secure in our homes. We want to be able to come home and feel both physically and emotionally safe. That I can just be me and I don't have to be on guard all the time. I want my family to be a place where I feel safe. And I don't ever want to feel alone even in those moments where I would rather physically be alone. I want to know that you would be there the moment I need you. We want those things in our family. But when families are at their worst, they destroy a lot of that. And they start poking holes in those desires. And they start messing with, am I even okay as a person to have wanted that in my dad or my mother? And we start doubting ourselves. It breeds insecurities. It breeds a lot of the mental anguish that we might be fighting through because we're looking at our family and saying, I want these, I long for these. It seems like other people want that too, but my family is not providing that at all. What do I do there? We'll hear phrases that kind of like start to echo in our brain like you could never, you won't amount to much, you can't. But then Jesus steps in and he says, hey, with me, you're more than an overcomer. I will actually walk you through all of those things. If you and I are connected, if you attach and graft your life into me, I will actually help you get through all of the things that you need because of the strength that I have that I will give you in those situations. You can do all of those things through Christ as he gives you strength. We'll hear things echo in those broken family moments like you're not valuable enough. You're not worth it. I must have messed up. I must have done something where my family would treat me like this. But then Jesus says, it's like, you're completely, 100%, the treasure of my creation. I have given my life for you that we might have a relationship. In the eyes of God, you're completely valuable. We might not feel safe. We don't have that love in our family. But then God gives us promises like, you can never be separated from the love of God. You can't be stripped away from the love that he has to offer you. We can feel like we don't belong, that we're an outsider in our own family. How could I possibly? 
And then Jesus invites us in and says, you are co-heirs with me. The inheritance that I have with our Father God, you have now been ushered in with me. If you will walk with me, you are now a co-heir. The inheritance that is mine, I share with you. Jesus puts it this way in a couple of passages, very, very specifically. He says that those who follow him are his brothers. He looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And we can initially read that and go, oh, he's like looking out and saying like, you guys can be this. But like, look at that very, very simply. You're with me. You've decided to follow me. I'm your brother. I want to have a closeness and a relationship with you. I want to be like your brother that you could talk to at any time, process life with, laugh with, engage with, walk with, journey with. I'm your, I'm your brother. In John chapter one, it says to all who believed him, all who believed in Jesus and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Not those that are allowed to grab some of the table scraps, not those that are trying to like sweep on the outside and hope they can kind of be associated with what God's doing. No, if you believe in Jesus, you're being adopted into the family of God. You are becoming, you have become his daughter and his son. You're his children. When Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, he addresses God as father. Say this with me, father. Jesus is continually trying to show you that whatever deficits you might be experiencing in your family, he understands and he wants to point to the fact that it's actually God himself that is the fulfillment of all of those internal longings. If we want to experience that approval, if we want to have that care and to feel special, if we want to have the security, if we want to know that we're never alone, if we want to know that we have a place that we belong, God says he is the 100% complete and most satisfying fulfillment of each and every one of those deep things inside of us. So how do we navigate that then with our family who seems to keep trying to burst every one of those bubbles. You see, if we let Jesus be our fulfillment, then we can actually have some compassion for them. Because if I'm trying to make my family fulfill the fulfillment, then they're going to constantly and consistently destroy those expectations. They're going to let us down at every turn. They cannot be the hero in our life, not the full expression of it. They cannot be the great satisfaction of our soul. And every time they miss the gathering, every time they're late to that, every time they say the hurtful things, every time they do the heinous things, we're like, why have you broken this expectation? I need you to fulfill who I am. But if we switch that, and if we give that over to Jesus, if we allow his invitation to be something, we're like, you know what? I don't only want that. I want you to be the perfect supernatural fulfillment of what I want. Then we can look to our family with compassion instead of for expectation. I go to God first 
for that belonging, that love, and that community. And then these people that are a part of my life, I can now see them from the vantage point of already having been fulfilled. I don't need them to be the person that makes me whole. God is the only one that can give me that perfect love. And so if my family portrait looks completely tattered and it's filled with people who don't yet know Jesus, I can start to see them with the compassion that says, wow, my sisters, my brothers, my family are those that, they're like sheep without a shepherd. Of course they don't know how to interact with me. Of course they don't know how to handle this healthily. Of course they don't know what they're, they're, they're wandering through the pasture, looking behind the rocks, looking at the edge of cliffs, trying to figure it out, but there is no shepherd in their life that they're willing to follow. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And we begin to, our hearts begin to break for them. I so wish, I so wish that my brother would grab a hold of who Jesus is. I so desperately wish that my father would come to understand. I so desperately wish and we can have a compassion for them. And if we have family that does know Jesus, but continues to play a part in, in proving just how imperfect our families are, it's often coming from hurt, from a, a flaw and a trauma where they're trying to navigate life. I have folks, I have family members in my life They're about as far from perfect as I could tell you. And just, just to honor them, I'm not going to get into specific. I wish I could tell you the stories, uh, but I feel like to drag them through the mud would be incredibly disrespectful. But the older I get and the more I put my fulfillment in Christ, the more I realize the pain and the battles that they're going through, and right now the only strength they can muster is to survive. They do not yet know how to be a healthy member in our family. And I can now see them with compassion. And maybe instead of demanding that they fulfill something in me, maybe I can, from my place of being fulfilled and satisfied in Christ, help them begin to see what Jesus can do in their life too. Now it's complicated. I'm not saying that these simple words are just, just go do this. It's that easy. It's that simple. But I am saying when we can land in who Jesus is and who we are in him, it changes our vantage point as we would engage those in our families that are the most difficult to engage. Now, some of us are probably tempted to think, well, Joe, that's nice and all, but my family was awful. And I would have loved to have had the chance to have a decent family. And from that vantage point, say, Jesus is my fulfillment. And maybe I wouldn't have had to walk through all of this pain. And maybe I wouldn't, it wouldn't be such a struggle to engage Jesus that way. But if we go to the other side of this coin and we ask the question, what about when our family was absolutely awesome? I think we might find something a little bit ironic here, that our family might be one of the greatest temptations in our life. Our family might be one of the greatest temptations in our life. I, I can't tell you how many times I have heard and have said something like these phrases. 
Our kids are our life. I just want to be like my dad. My dad was the best. I can't wait to get home to my mom over break and just experience a hug in some of her cooking. My brother, my sister is my absolute best friend. I can't imagine living life without them. We could go on and on with these examples. And many of you right now are probably thinking, what's wrong with those phrases? What's wrong with that? Aren't we supposed to love mom's cooking? (laughs) Aren't we? Wouldn't it be nice to have a dad to look up? I mean, what's wrong with those phrases? Well, here's the thing. No matter how good of an example these people are in our lives, no matter how much we love them and they love us, they are a partial and incomplete picture. They're a dim reflection of who God is. And here's one of the things that Jesus said when it comes to looking at our mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters that might be one of the most emotionally crazy sounding things that he ever says. He says, if you want to be my disciple, you must by comparison hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. That sounds nuts. Thank you. (laughs) It sounds nuts. What advice on the planet would someone give you like, that sounds like the word, just hate your family and you'll be good. Especially if they were a good family. I mean, maybe someone would talk to you like, yeah, the way your dad treated you, the way your brothers have written you off, like, you know what, just they're dead to you. Push. But what if, I mean, if you look to your dad that you love and adore, you look to your siblings who've been like, and Jesus says by comparison we should hate, what is that about? What, what is he saying here? Because most of us, if we're in earshot of a pastor teaching out of the Bible, we probably generally are okay with or really like what Jesus usually has to say, but this seems really hard. What is he getting at here? Hate my kids, my parents, my spouse, my life, Jesus. What am I supposed to do with that? But by comparison, see, here's the thing. If we build the foundation of our lives on our family members, they will fail us. They will. They will disappoint us. Just about every newlywed I've ever talked to, you can pretty much count down to X amount of months into their marriage. You're like, who, who is this person that I said I do to? Did you know they were going to do this? <laughs> Did you know... If we're going to build the foundation of our lives on a family member, they will fail us. And when that happens, when we build our foundation on dad, who's the wonderful patriarch of our family, when we build that foundation on mom, she was just the rock of our family. She is the matriarch. She is the person. When we build that foundation on them, and then when they fail, our world shatters because everything that we built our life on was on them. I've seen this in my family. 
I didn't recognize it at the time because this was X amount of years ago, but I watched a family member completely idolize their mother. Every day they had that conversation. There's nothing wrong with that. Every day there was a connection with mom. Every day. And then when mom tragically passed, that family member lost it. They didn't know who they were anymore. They didn't know where to go anymore. They didn't know how to live anymore. They didn't know how to talk to other people anymore. They didn't know how to go shopping anymore and get the things done for their house. They didn't know how to engage the household anymore. They didn't know how to parent anymore. They didn't know how to be a spouse anymore. They didn't know how to do any of that anymore because mom was gone. It shattered them. It broke them because her life's foundation was built on the relationship with her mother. And some of us are feeling weird even right now. Some of us are feeling defensive even right now. We're like, what's wrong with that relationship with her mom? If it's loving and great, nothing's wrong with it. If it's the foundation, everything's wrong with it. Jesus is saying it's gonna take a shift in thought. One of the things that he, te he teaches this story, it's a great story about two builders. One builds their house on a rock. One builds their house on sand. The storm comes. The one on sand washes away. The one on the rock, it remains. It was able to weather the storms of life. I mean, imagine physically saying, I'm going to build my life. Joe Caruso, I'm gonna build my life on my wife's shoulders. She is the source of my satisfaction. She is the source of whether or not I'm gonna be sane. She is the source of me feeling like I belong. She's the source of me feeling like I have love. She's the source of helping me feel like I have a place in this world. She's the source of having all of that. The pressure that I'm putting on my wife, that now she has to be all of those things to me, she's got her own junk to handle. And she wants to love me. She wants to help me. She wants to support me. She wants to be around me, but then I'm gonna stand on her shoulders and if she messes up, my life is gonna fall apart? Some of us that are parents, we treat our kids that way. That ev my happiness my value, my worth, my satisfaction is all in my children. So the reason we're so livid when the report card's not what we expected, that we get so angry at the ref because you missed that call, it's because our life is riding on whether or not our kid succeeds. I don't know how to handle that referee because you're threatening my identity by not doing what my kid wants right now. We're, if we're building the foundation of our lives on our family members, let's talk about a source of where mental health issues can come from. My mother says that if I don't get good grades, she's gonna lose it. Why is an adult woman dependent upon a fourth grader's grades? Now, <laughs> now, that sounds, dare I say, nuts when you say it out loud like that. But in practice, 
shouldn't, I mean, if we're going to talk about shoulders, doesn't it seem to make a lot more sense to stand on the shoulders of the creator of the universe and the savior of the world who knows everything about you, still loves you completely, and has sacrificed himself for you so you can experience life completely and will usher you into a season of forgiveness and will one day take you to eternal life? Should we put our, shoulder, should we put our feet on his shoulders instead of our kid? Shouldn't we put our feet on the shoulders of our God instead of putting all of that pressure on our spouse? Shouldn't we stand on the will and the wonder and the love of God instead of looking to our parents saying, why don't you fulfill all of this for me? Jesus is saying, build your life on the rock. Build your life on me. I am your fulfillment. I am the one that will give you life. I am the one that brings everything that you need. And the more that you put it in other people, not only will your world come crashing down, but they are experiencing pressure that was never meant to be on them in the first place. Jesus is trying to give us something full and complete. Don't get me wrong, family can be wonderful and beautiful, but at their best, they're still just the almost of the fullness of life. They're like, they're like watching a reel of a waterfall instead of going and experiencing the waterfall. They're like getting out of your car. You ever go to those restaurants or that store and you get out of your car and it just smells like bacon? It'd be like getting out of the car and going... Yeah, I don't think I ever need bacon again in my life. That was wonderful. That's also nuts. I want, I want the real thing. Give me the thick cut bacon on a double cheeseburger. I mean, it's just like, that's the real deal, right? And even now, some of you are like, I'm hungry and I'm not gonna pay attention to anything else this guy has to say because I'm so locked into that double cheeseburger with bacon. But even that proves my point. That's not the same as actually experiencing it. And when we put that pressure on our family to give us the belonging and the safety and the connection and the satisfaction, we're experiencing a wafting of something. We're experiencing a picture of something when Jesus is inviting us to the real thing. I don't want you to have a, a glimpse of feeling satisfied with who you are, a glimpse of feeling secure in your relationship with me. I want you to rest in it. I want to experience the fullness of me, these people in your life, even when they're wonderful, they're just a gift. But they're not the source of life. They're a gift. If you have that wonderful matriarch in your family, what a gift from the giver of life. If you have that dad that's like your hero, what a gift from the giver of life. If your kids make you just well up with pride, what a gift. If your spouse and you have a great relationship, what a gift. Go on down the list, what a gift. But not the foundation of what we build our lives on. Listen, here's some bonus advice. If you're dating right now, if you can get a hold of this, that, that you would be a person that is secure and satisfied in your relationship with your creator and your savior and you don't have to hang that over the head of the person that you're dating that maybe they might be the one that finally fills all the voids in you, what a gift that you could give to that person that you're interested in. If you're married, 
It's a gift. It's not the source of life. But you see, family might be the greatest temptation because when things are good, it's hard to depend on God. Jesus has this other common teaching where he said it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. But he's not talking just about if you have enough money. He's saying when you have what you feel like you need, when you have what you feel like you want, you stop looking. We stop looking. It's one of the crazy things sometimes about things like social media. You see so many waterfalls, you forget that one day you'd like to go on that actual vacation. We have the family around us. We got the things that are kind of going all right. And it tempts us to not even look for who God is. I remember in college, I took some drawing classes. I actually really like to sketch. And uh, I remember in those drawing classes, sometimes they would bring in live models, you know. And so you'd have a guy, uh, you know, standing there. Like, I remember in particular, one time he was like in this construction uniform. And he's like posing like he's about to hammer a nail or something like that, you know. And we're just sit there and with our little easel, you know, you know, and draw. And one time, I, and I, for some reason I remember this too, a, a woman came in and she, she was gardening. You know, she got the little water thing and just, you know, and you're just, uh-huh, yep, uh-huh, drawing. Now, if the instructor, if the, if the art teacher comes around the corner and sees you on your easel and sees this, you probably don't have a future in art, number one, right? Like this is not your thing. For you graphic designers in the room, you're like, yep, that ain't gonna work. Now, if the, the, the sketch artist says, what do you mean this isn't very good? Because from my vantage point, what I see, I see this over there. I see that over here, so I'm sketching this. You're like, well, if that's what you're looking at, that, I guess that's not that bad. If we're building our life off of the people around us. We are trying to mimic a dim reflection of what Jesus is putting right in front of us. Jesus is saying, hey, I, I'm, the, I'm the author of life. I calm the wind and the waves. The the." the I'm the one that created the laws of science that let those planets hang in the air. I got this. I know you inside and out. I know why you're hurting right now. I know exactly what you need. Would you come to me? No, I think I'm gonna put my fulfillment in my child. I'm I'm gonna draw this instead. Well, I have everything you could possibly need and a satisfaction that will quench the thirst of your soul. Nah, I just really kind of feel like that's my mom. And, and we're constantly trying to draw a dim reflection, someone that was meant to reflect the image of God that they in and of themselves are not the source of life. Jesus says this, he says, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy, 
But I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. I want you to have life to the full of the belonging, the satisfaction, the depth of your soul, the things that you need and want the most. I will give them to you. But the thief is coming to kill, steal, and destroy that. And here's a pro tip. The thief does not come with red horns on his head and a pitchfork and says, I'm going to destroy your life. Do you want in on that? Because we're like, no. That's stupid. Go away. You know what he does? Anything he can to distract you from going to the person that will give you the full life. Anything. Hey. Your dad, man, he's pretty awesome. Just look to him. What do you need Jesus for? He's got his life together. Hey, your dad, he destroyed you. What do you need God for? Anything he can do to get you not to have this. You see, if we put our family at the pinnacle, then our life is so wobbly that when the enemy comes in and he just tries to distract, it's so easy to watch that Jenga tower fall. But when Jesus, when Jesus is the source, when we accept the offer of life to the full, then when he comes in, he says, Hey, your dad, he's pretty awesome. You should just, you're like, man, what a gift my Savior has given me. And I'm just glad that I've got to experience some of that relationship for his time on earth and mine. Hey, that dad that was awful to you, why would you trust Jesus? Why would you trust God? Why would, because God is my fulfillment. Because Jesus will never leave me or forsake me. Because Jesus is always there for me. Because Jesus is my wonderful counselor. Because Jesus does understand me. And he is always there for me. And he hasn't ever abandoned me. He is there. As a matter of fact, he fulfills me to a level that I actually have the strength to even consider processing, forgiving my earthly father. That's why Jesus, I follow him because he's everything. You see, when Jesus is at the top, we build our life on the rock. And when the storm comes, it still continues to stand. The last question that I said we would talk about is what about us? Where do we fit in all this? Because aren't we a family member? Uh, I'm, I'm somebody's son, I'm somebody's brother. I'm somebody's husband and father. I'm, I, I have these things in my life, right? We can't be a distraction. You see, if we can continue to put our lives into the hand of Christ, we are much more equipped to actually wa- equipped to walk a path where we're not the ones tempting people to walk away from Christ because of the pain we've caused them. I don't want to be 
someone that helps other people justify walking away from God because I've caused them pain. And I also don't want to be an idol. Not only do I not want to be a distraction, I don't want to be an idol. I want to do everything I can to point people to what's complete, to point people toward the source of life. I can't do that for you. I can't be your savior. I can't be your God. I can't be the source of your satisfaction, but I know the one who can. I do not want to be that idol in your life. And so if Jesus was going to sit down and just eyeball to eyeball and say, can I talk to you as a friend? I think he would look and say, that pain that you've experienced in your life, I died for that. I took, I sacrificed myself for that. I'm offering healing for that. I'm offering redemption for that. I'm even making it possible to seek forgiveness in that. A hope, a real hope for the future. I'm offering you a strength to bring joy and love into, into your family's realities. The joy that you're experiencing in life from your family, you can trust in Jesus' life for that. So that when your life is suddenly impacted by tragedy, when your life is suddenly impacted by something that gets turned upside down, you can rest assuredly in me. And you can grieve and you can process and you can live even in the shadow of death because you know that I'm there to guide you and walk with you and lead you to a pathway of life. He frees us from our expectations that we've had on our family. He frees us from the pressure that we put on our family to be our savior. Jesus wants to show us something so much greater and putting family before everything else. So as we move toward, for many of us, a week where we're going to see maybe a little bit more family than normal. Maybe we're going to grieve some family. Maybe we're going to walk into some scenarios that we just love, the tradition, whatever it is. I'm wondering if even right now you'll process a couple of questions with me. One, Am I willing to look past the incomplete picture in front of me and instead look to Christ? Whether their picture is one of pain or whether their picture is one of joy, am I willing to look past that picture and put my hope and trust and foundation in Jesus and thank Jesus for that gift, to go to Jesus for the strength to navigate the hardship, to look past them and instead engage Christ. Jesus fulfills every seat that we need in our lives and will help us navigate what's before us this week. And the second question is, is am I willing to be the most valuable I can possibly be by pointing my family to Jesus? I can build my life around me or I can build it around Christ. 
I can build my life around something that will for sure shatter. I will for sure die one day. I will for sure let people down one day or I can point people toward Jesus. I can help my daughter think I'm amazing or I can help her know who Jesus is and maybe in the meantime, she'll think I'm okay too. I can complain and try to lead my wife toward loving me more or I can point her to Jesus so that she has the strength to love me the way that he would love me. Am I willing to do the best that I can to be the best version of myself which is actually to point people to Jesus instead of me even in my family? the most loving thing we can do for anyone that we love is to point them to Christ. The band's gonna come out and give us some space and I realize that for some of us, this is just straight up hard because many of us, this conversation is just filled with tons of pain, some of it even super fresh. And for others of us, this conversation might have put you on your heels and you're feeling really defensive right now and you need to go listen to last week's conversation about anger because you kind of want to punch me right now. I get it. Family's hard. Because it's the people that we want to love us the most and it's the people that we're tempted by the most. But Jesus, and this is not a cliche, he really is the satisfaction for our soul. And everything else can wonderfully and vibrantly be built from there. So as they create this space for us to pray with him and process, will you start by praying with me? Jesus, thank you so much for inviting us into this reality that we don't have to stand on the shoulders of our parents or the shoulders of our loved ones, the shoulders of our siblings or our children. We don't have to put that pressure on other people to find that fulfillment in us because you already perfectly offer it. You already have paid for the depth of the cost of anything we or our family have already done. You've already beaten death. You've already shown us that you have the power over life and that's in the moment of a conversation through the pain of a relationship even into the eternity of our lives forever. Jesus, would we, can we trust you? Would you help us to realize that we can just put our lives in your hands and walk with you moment by moment family gathering by family gathering, evening by evening, and say, Jesus, I put my life in your hands. I am your child, and I am now here to love and engage the way that you are calling me to do so. Jesus, help us to see you. Help us to trust you. Thank you, Father, for being here for us. In your name we pray.